so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And our main website, Clark.com, when you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com. So a lot of people now are planning summer vacations, trying to decide where you're going to go, maybe book a cruise, maybe book a flight, a tour, whatever. I want to talk to you about one of the most confusing parts of buying travel. And I think about if you book an airline ticket or a cruise, how before you purchase, there's a big push for you to buy what they call uh, trip insurance or travel protection. Sometimes they're not actual real insurance policies. And these policies are sold at very high cost. Very commonly, it will be 10% of the cost of the trip you're buying. And making claims, as I've heard over and over again from people, incredibly difficult. You know, the cruise lines and the airlines look at this as just another revenue point. And the nation's airlines have gone to these ginormous cancellation fees that if you need to change a trip, cancel a trip, they won't give you your money back. And on top of it, they charge you 200 to $400 for not being able to go. And it's just... A terrible, terrible burden. And and I speak of the airlines like a monolith. I should say, except Southwest, that charges no penalties at all. If your trip needs to change for any reason, or if you need to cancel, you have a year to use that money without any penalty whatsoever. Uh, otherwise, you do have these big expenses with an airline ticket. You have, with a cruise, no matter why you can't go, you lose all your money. And so you should have coverage. But when you're looking to buy trip coverage, I don't want you to buy it through an airline or from a cruise line because it's too expensive through them and the coverage limits and exclusions are pretty ugly. I want you to buy it third party. And especially if you're doing a tour or a cruise, where you lose all your money if you can't go, you got to buy this trip insurance. Airline ticket, eh, maybe not. So when you're looking at stuff, I'd like for you to go to the clearinghouse, insuremytrip.com. And there you'll see every pretty much shape, form, and fashion of trip policy there is that has levels that are relatively inexpensive to very expensive depending on what coverages you actually buy if you are someone who's traveling to a part of the world where you're worried about what conditions are going to be like civil unrest terrorism whatever the only kind of policy you can really look at are these policies that you pay more premium for but allow you to cancel for any reason if you do cancel for a reason that would not normally be covered by a policy, and you just say, I'm not going to go, you don't get all your money back, but you get a substantial sum of your money back, and you don't have to worry about exclusions because a State Department warning won't be enough to get your money back. 
Uh, civil conflict won't be enough to get your money back. Terrorism won't be enough to get your money back under most policies. So they're expensive. I don't want you to just look at an electronic brochure or a physical one. I want you to read what is covered and know the easiest rule that an insurance commissioner told me once is that if it doesn't say it's covered, it's not. <laughs> so that's the simplest way for you to know because I will get calls from people who have trip insurance and will be nervous. I had one uh, six weeks ago, I guess, from somebody going to the Yucatan of Mexico. I've had more than just that one about the Yucatan. And the person had trip insurance, but their trip insurance didn't cover. He said, why buy it? Exactly. So a lot of times the things that might make you nervous and make you not want to go to a place are not going to be covered. The standard kind of coverage for a trip insurance policy is really to cover illness or death in your, obviously you're not going to be that worried about your money if you're dead, but anyway, illness or death of you or a family member is what is principally what's covered by these policies. The other thing is with some of the supplier default, if the travel supplier goes bust, that you get your money back. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jim, how you doing? Pretty good, Clark. Good to talk to you. I'm a longtime student at Clark Howard University. Well, that is great. Do you have one of our factory second t-shirts? No, but I, I regretted not buying one uh, when I saw those uh, a few years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe but, we'll uh, have another factory second t-shirt at some point we can make available. You bet. I won't miss it this time. Okay. So anyway, hey, I'd like to talk to you about, uh, actually, I'm calling for my wife. She uh, retired about a year ago, and she turned her garage sale passion into a bit of a moneymaker. She teamed up with our daughter. And instead of, uh, you know, gr uh, going to garage sales and uh, doing what she does with all of her good good products, she would just recycle them every year or so at a garage sale at our house or at our daughter's house. But now, since she retired, they've, they've teamed up and they've uh, stepped it up a notch. They're, they're reselling uh, repainted furniture that they take care of and other items on, like, Facebook Marketplace. And, I mean, some days they're, they're reselling things every day and they're actually making, uh, you know, they're having repeat customers and they're, uh, you know, making some making some real money, I think. So the, I got a kind of a two-part question. Uh, when does this hobby need – when do we need to worry about this being a small business? And the second part of the well, question – Well, you want I, the book answer or you want the real-life <laughs> answer? Well, here's what spurred the, uh, the the question. I thought I would help them out, and uh, this is their business. I'm just uh, I just just love watching it. But uh, I went ahead and I said I'm going to help them out, and I bought a PayPal here uh, credit card reader, and I thought you know they've had some repeat customers and some big sales. I thought you know you could use this and maybe even increase your sales and uh, make it make it easier to make more money. But I ordered that thing, and it comes in, and it says you have to connect it to your PayPal business account. That was a big red flag. And if you could help explain, to, you know, we did not hook it up. It's still sitting uh, on my desk. Uh, let me know, you know, what you, what you think. Uh, right. How, so how so there, there are, this is a very gray area because technically once you're making money from something, it's supposed to be reported as a business. 
But with a hobby, one of the most important considerations is do you, do you need that income to live? You know, if it's something she just loves doing and it's fun that, for her, then that's not really truly a business till it really starts making substantial money. Yeah, and, we're having a blast doing it. And, and uh, it's not substantial money. It's, it's a lot of good fun money. So, so okay, so let's see. I'm, I got to answer this two ways. <laughs> the book answer, yes. You report the income from this hobby of your wife. She reports her income. The real story is that people doing things with yard sales or people doing things, uh, you know, through Facebook or whatever, selling stuff, uh, that until you start hiring employees and it becomes a really formalized business, most people are just pocketing that money. They're doing business in cash. You talked about one of the things you don't do if you don't want to have to cross paths with the IRS, you don't have a credit card reader. You don't accept checks. You do everything in cash. Okay. That's I'm so glad I can't go to jail for saying that. <laughs> but that's the, I mean, that's, it, you just asked me straight out real life. That's the reality. Sounds like a plan then. So uh, you have to make your own decision. But that's the way most people would play it. Well, I guess now they can add this uh, PayPal credit card reader, one of their products that they can resell. <laughs> that's probably a good idea, because if, if you don't want to have to declare the income and do all the paperwork and all that, yep, you just keep it really informal. Gosh, we never realized this was becoming a, a real thing. Sean's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sean. How you doing? Pretty good, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. So, Sean, you have some advice as an industry professional that you wanted to share with your fellow listeners. I thank you for being a member of Team Clark. I love Team Clark. I love it. Um, what kind of industry are you in? I assume you don't want to say who you work for, but just general terms. What kind of industry are you in that your advice comes from? Uh, shipping and receiving. I do residential and business, both. Okay. And um, what insights do you have that your fellow listeners should know? Well, I, I keep on seeing um, the elderly people in the community getting scammed, and it it's all starts with the phone. You know, they answer the phone, they don't know who it is, and then... You know, they're they're giving up their savings account number, their checking account number, and <clears throat> it's it's the uh, computer scam that's going around where they say your computer's infected, and then they want to you give them access, and then once they get in there, they get into your checking and they, and they just kind of shut you down. Yeah, I mean, we get that call unfortunately too frequently. <clears throat> Yeah, we also had a uh, <clears throat> had one of the couriers go to a house and pick up a package, and he could tell the lady, elderly lady, was kind of flustered. Um, brought it back, gave it to me. We opened it up, and uh, it was just like a pack. Opened it up and had thirty four thousand dollars cash in there. What? So, yeah, thirty four thousand. 
And um, what what kind of scam was she getting taken in? She actually, because obviously authorities not involved, she was called and told her granddaughter was kidnapped. Oh. And they uh, told her she couldn't tell anybody or they would kill her granddaughter. And they asked her how much money she had. She had 34000 So she went and got it. And they chose us to pick it up. And luckily the courier could see, you know, something was wrong. So, you know, this was, is this is fantastic. Did the courier get a reward from any authorities for being heads up about that? Yeah, 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 he did. Yeah, he did. I'm he so glad. Pretty good. You know, there's a there's a new shield for bankers where bankers used to just have to sit there and watch their elderly customers get taken in these scams. And now uh, bank employees are allowed to step in, and even if they make a mistake and something was not a scam, they don't get in trouble for it because they're one of the best places to stop these things. But what a wonderful thing that your employee did. Yeah, yeah, we were really proud of him, and the family was obviously really happy too to get that much back. So, uh, actually, what did the what did the elderly lady say when her? Granddaughter was fine, and she had her thirty-four thousand back. I, I wasn't, I wasn't in on that conversation. I was the local police because I, I didn't want to contact her and scare. Her. So that was the local police that made contact. But she, she was extremely happy. Everybody was okay. Well, that is great news. Uh, any others that you want to share with me quickly? Um, the, the only other one we we got one the other day. We had one hundred sixteen envelopes picked up and they were sent out with checks authentic looking checks and had instructions with the phone number to text them your name check amount amount on check and uh then you uh could deposit it and of course oh. you know when you deposit it you yeah, the old them, fake check back. deposit thing yeah yeah wow that is that one ever going to die i guess it still works yeah it, it, I don't see how. <laughs> well, but, I appreciate um, you taking the time to share with us. And just remember this, money does not fall out of the sky. And somebody just doesn't, no matter what tall tale they tell you, they're not sending you a check out of the goodness of their heart. And then they'll con you into wiring them back money. And the check they've sent you is bogus, is counterfeit, and will then bounce. Be careful out there. Todd's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Todd, you got a trip to Japan you got a question for me about. Is that right? Yes, I do. What's the scoop uh, I can help you with? So what's going on is I'm going to be traveling to Japan in about three months with my whole family. And it's something we've been saving for for years. You're going to love it. Oh, I, well, I was there for my honeymoon many years ago with my wife. Great. And so we're looking forward to going back and introducing the boys. Um, And my question is, so, you know, it's going to be me, my wife, and my three boys. You know, my boys, they're 15, 11, and 4. And uh, it's going to be a long flight to get there. And I'm wondering, is there like an inexpensive uh, travel power bank that would be able to charge like laptops, various devices such as like. You mean on you know, an airplane? Uh, 
Yeah, on an airplane. So charging charging the phones will be nothing or a tablet. Mm -hmm. Charging a laptop, that's a whole different scale. But a lot of the airlines to Asia now have uh, charging ports at even every coach seat. Okay. Well, we were also wondering for like our our cell phones when we're actually in Japan. Perfect. So 10,000 mAh battery things now on eBay and Amazon are like mm-hmm. ten bucks and up. Okay. And ten thousand's great. That that's like a couple of days battery life extra for each phone. And right. so that would be a great travel gift is get everybody a ten dollar one and then they'd be able to charge away. And make sure you have a travel adapter or two for charging the laptops once you're in Japan at hotels or homes or whatever. I'm so glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. That's the goal. That's our purpose. And so you expect from me good guidance, good advice, good direction. But there are times you feel like, I need to go learn how to read a financial map again. And you may be disappointed with the answer I gave to somebody or an opinion I've shared or whatever. And that's why we have clark.com slash clark stinks it's where you can go post where you feel i missed the mark or worse i sent somebody on a wrong path or just gave bad advice and once a week our producer krista goes through your posts and shares highlights with you here on the air I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Clark doesn't stink. We're going to start out with that one. No, this is Clark stinks, (laughs) not Clark doesn't stink. Just please differentiate between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Diabetes was mentioned in his insurance company's Tracking Us podcast. Many media mention it as if the only reason folks have diabetes is a lack of control in unhealthy eating, obesity, etc. But that is untrue for T1D, an autoimmune disease. We T1Ds do not control any aspect of contracting it, unfortunately. Thank you, and I should have specified that when I was talking about insurers and the way they uh, treat diabetes and the way it's monitored and so i apologize for not doing that distinguishing factor why does clark continue to give advice about ink for inkjet printers the ink is expensive and problematic since the jets often dry out between uses two years ago we purchased a laser printer for about 100 dollars and couldn't be happier We've only purchased one toner cartridge over the two years for $12, and it's still going strong. We use the printer almost daily. Most people only need a black and white printer. After all, it's a lot cheaper to order photo prints online than it is to print at home. But color lasers are also available at reasonable price. So Clark, quit advising about the cheapest way to purchase ink and instead tell your listeners about the real bargains laser printers it's funny we had a printer post last week too yeah yeah so uh anyway uh krista could go on for about oh next 10 minutes about how i've recommended the epson well we talked about it in last week, echo so, tanks yeah. yeah so 
It is true that if you're I just, just threw doing something at ours, by the way, literally, I just threw something at it before. You threw something at it? Mm-hmm. Oh. So anyway, uh, the laser printer advice is great for pl- printing as most printing is done, black ink, no color. And another suggestion I had from someone who was upset about the Epson printer is that you have a second color printer for the occasions you need to do color printing, which you'll find is almost never, and that a laser printer is the most efficient way to do everyday on-demand printing. Clark, I think you need to open the hood a little more on the Charles Schwab Intelligent Portfolio, which, as you mentioned last week, can be combined with their subscription service to a certified planner. If you had, you might have alerted listeners that Schwab allocates almost 10% of a person's nest egg to a low-interest Schwab cash fund. Schwab can make an extra 1.5 to 2 percentage point spread on all of these deposits. That's on top of the expense ratio and subscription plan cost. Clark, if a GMMB, which is Giant Master Mega Bank in Clark speak, rolled out a target date fund that kept 10% of a person's investments in a savings account, you'd be outraged. I know you admire Schwab, but they and any investment house deserve similar scrutiny. You are completely correct. And actually, on another Clark show, other than the one you're responding to, I did talk about how I didn't like how Schwab handles the cash portion of the intelligent portfolios. Just so you're aware, what they do is they have these computer model portfolios that are based on uh, you going through a questionnaire. And so you go into the model portfolio. So depending on your circumstance, they take a certain amount of your money and put it in, in a cash equivalent, paying a very low interest rate versus what the market is offering, generally paying one-third of what high rates would be in the market. And I think it is a moral blind spot with Schwab that they've done that. And this was response in, to our What's in Clark's Wallet post on Clark.com. You don't carry the Fidelity Express Visa Rewards credit card? You don't want 2% of every purchase going straight into a Roth IRA so that you can save more? You upset me, Craig. Craig, you should be upset. No, I don't do business with Fidelity Investments. I did it one time. Actually, I've done two different times in my life. So I'm not eligible for the Fidelity card. And the Schwab equivalent is only a point and a half. So the Fidelity card at 2.0 is much better. And so the alternative, and one that I've considered is getting the city double cash card, which is also a 2% cash back card. And those two products, the Fidelity 2% cash back and the city double cash 2% cash back, they're the best, uh, simplest credit cards to have in the marketplace. I wanted to respond to the question about hiring a housekeeper who is working at a franchise company as an independent cleaner. Clark, I was disappointed you did not acknowledge that for housekeeping companies, a lot of money, time, and effort is put into marketing and finding customers, as well as training, background checks, insuring, bonding, and providing employees with supplies and equipment. For those reasons, most franchise companies have their employees sign a non-compete which in essence makes it illegal for them to solicit employment directly from company accounts. As such, employees who steal accounts from their employers can be sued for the loss of revenue and court costs. 
Please caution your listeners that they may be supporting people who they care for, but they are also potentially contributing to a legal mess for those individuals. Not to mention they take on the liability for an injury claim, theft, or any other unforeseen circumstances that can occur. Overall, I love your show, but I needed to shout out for small business owners. Thank you for your post, and everything you said is right on the liability side. I need to tell you I respectfully disagree with you on covenants not to compete. I don't think that covenants not to compete should exist because they are such a burden on the employee. There are rare circumstances where somebody has access to corporate secrets at a high level of a corporation where I could see potentially uh, justification for having covenants not to compete. But I think they're too much a restriction on the workplace and they suppress the pay of workers too much. And that's why I am completely opposed to covenants not to compete. Getting a credit card with frozen credit. Clark doesn't stink. He just doesn't know about this trick. I've heard him take several calls from people wanting to know how they can get a credit card after their credit's frozen. He is correct that CSRs rarely ever know which agency they use. The method I have used three times. Let's explain CSRs. Those are the, when somebody's applying for a card, I'll say, hey, ask which of the three credit bureaus right. they pull from. And peop- the people working at credit card companies have no idea. The method I use is to apply online with my fr- credit frozen. You will get an alert that says they cannot issue your card and will send you a notice in writing within 30 days. The letter usually arrives within 7 to 10 business days and includes their credit agency and the number to call back once you've thawed your credit. While this limits you from being able to quickly get a new credit card, it works very well and you only have to thaw one report and you will receive their decision while on the call. Very smart. That's a great idea. Thank you. Clark, your advice regarding what constitutes a bad 403B plan made me throw open a window and turn on a fan. You recently told a caller not to fund his if the expenses exceeded 0.07%. While everyone wants to have low expenses, think of the investing in taxable accounts as having a load equal to your tax rate. Do you want to invest in a fund with a 15, 22, or 24% load? If you look at the Bogleheads wiki in 401k plans, they do the math and come up with a rule of thumb that is gen- it is generally better to invest in a bad retirement plan instead of a taxable until the expenses reach 1.7%. And that's from Mike. Mike, thank you. All right, so use your fan instead of air conditioning. It's saving you money. But as far as needing to clear out the stink from me talking about 403B plans, so here's the story. If you think about how I guide people on that, what I encourage them to do is to contribute in a 403B up to the employer match, if there is an employer match, and then contribute to a Roth IRA. So they're completely keeping their money still in a qualified retirement account, the Roth, you're never taxed on it or your earnings. Very few people are going to put more than $6,000 a year in a retirement account, and that's the ceiling on the Roth. If somebody does intend to put more money aside than that, then we can have a a real discussion about whether or not it's worth it to have money in a way overpriced 403B plan or a traditional investment account. Clark, you were off the mark when you said that counterfeit goods on websites don't matter to you because you don't buy brand names. Here's why. 
Counterfeit goods have been shown to fund terrorist organizations. They are dangerous. For example, counterfeit fragrances have been shown to sometimes contain urine to achieve a realistic color. Counterfeit goods cheat companies out of real customers. They cheat consumers out of hard-earned dollars. Your advice on shoes is correct. However, it goes way beyond that. Almost anything can be counterfeit if not from the original source. Clark, you're all about helping people not to be ripped off. Well, counterfeit merchandise is the biggest ripoff there is. Please help sound the alarm. Thank you. I appreciate your post. And if you're not familiar with context, what I talked about before is that when you buy goods online, it has become a big problem with massive numbers of counterfeit items being sold generally under brand names, especially designer labels. Because the reason the counterfeiters concentrate in that area is that's where the highest profit margins are. If they can fool somebody into thinking that they're selling you a brand name item. And the thing with the perfume, I'm not familiar with that. Someone has dissected the Clark Stinks sounder. Clark Stinks makes an unpleasant breeze wafting from a high school boy's locker room after they lost the big game. Why? Because instead of billing client hours, I've been on a hunt to find the audio sources for the Clark Stinks intro. I knew exactly one of these without looking them up. So let's test Clark and see how many he knows, especially since none of them come from NFL football games. One, uh, I should never have encouraged you to speak. That's Lauren Bacall. In Wait, the, you were supposed to ask me oh, if okay. I knew. I have no idea. Lauren Bacall in the mirror has two faces. Okay. Uh, you must think I'm pretty stupid. No idea. Seinfeld, Jason Alexander. You you should be ashamed of yourself. No idea. They couldn't find it either. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No idea. High anxiety. And finally, maybe you're right, pal. No idea. Bogart's star making turn in the petrified forest. <laughs> Well, thank you for doing that work. I am so clueless about anything in popular culture. I want to hear from you. Please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. If you feel that I have failed you or given bad advice, I need to hear from you. And maybe you'll hear your post with Krista right here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Scott joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, Scott. I understand you want to uh, have a discussion with me about when I talk about going to see a fee-only financial planner. How does that work and what's it going to cost? Is that the idea? Yes. Yes. Having heard you talk about several of the different places to go for that, I decided I would check it out. Uh, We are 64 years old, my wife and I both, so we're really at that stage of 
starting to put thing, a lot of things into motion. We probably should have started before, but here we are. When I looked at them uh, on, on their websites and under the Q&A, they talked about fees and approximate costs, and I found that uh, the fees were about $200 an hour with a minimum of 10 hours and easily up to 20 hours. Now, is, so this, for, is this for Garrett Planning Network, or is this for um, going to a, someone with a NAPFA affiliate? Uh, it, 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 this was for Garrett. Okay. All right. Now, Garrett, let me tell you how Garrett works. It's a referral service, and the the services that each Garrett planner offers could vary, and the fee structure would vary. So, okay. and I should say, who should use Garrett, and who likely would be better off using a NAPFA person? If you're just looking to make sure, you know, at your age, you should make sure that your uh, estate is properly set up, that your wills are current, that you have good planning goals established, that you are set for the rest of your 60s, 70s, and beyond. And that is when you go for a checkup, and depending on your resources, paying a couple of thousand dollars for somebody doing a deep dive with you, not about what investments you should be in, that's only a tiny part of it, but it's your overall planning, picture, goals, all that, 2000 for that may seem crazy expensive. It's actually money well spent. Okay. Um, now, with let me tell you the NAPFA thing. So with NAPFA, it tends to be a different kind of idea that with a NAPFA person, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, I think is what NAPFA stands for, NAPFA.org. With NAPFA, you're typically looking for somebody who is so as a fiduciary, which a Garrett person would be as well, but instead of doing a checkup with you and uh, you know developing a plan and coming up with what would be a good portfolio for you and then sending you away, a NAPFA person, instead, you tend to pay usually 1% of the assets you have to do ongoing management and advice for you. Okay. So they're, they're different kind of techniques, typically. But the beauty of both of them is you never have to worry about them recommending something or selling you something because they make more money from it or they make some kind of commission from it. They're only there to advise you, uh, legally required, to put your interests first, last, and always. That they're there for okay. you as your advocate. Okay, so NAFA then is for someone to help manage uh, our funds at a, you're saying about a 1% fee, and uh, Garrett, as you also mentioned, is much more of a, uh, just a checkup to see where you need to be. Exactly, and both of them, um, any good fiduciary who's well-trained will make sure they're talking to you and guiding you over time with much more than just, you should be in this fund, that fund, or the other fund. They're looking at your overall picture, where family fits in it, the dynamics of what goes on with kids and grandkids and stepkids and blended families and all that, and how you're going to handle all those things. I don't know your personal situation, but you get the idea. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.